0: The mission of the church is a continuation of the mission of Christ on earth, but we sometimes forget that we are the church, the body of Christ, and we are called to care for each other and conquer the things of this world. The resurrection has brought new life, has conquered death, and sharing in the resurrection is being offered to all of us because Jesus wants us to believe. Welcome to The Real Word Podcast for the second Sunday of Easter, Cycle B of the Roman Catholic Lectionary. I'm Brandon Jubar and I'll be your guide as we walk through the readings for this week. It's an important process because we believe the scriptures are the inspired Word of God, but to really be nourished by the Word, we need to break it open and look a little deeper. We need to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Now, the messages I get from these scriptures might feel right to you, but you also might find that the Holy Spirit tells you something else, and that is absolutely all right. So if you're ready, let's dive in. As I said, tonight we'll be looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter, cycle B. Our first reading is from the Acts of the Apostles. It's chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Our second reading is from a letter written by the same community believed to have written the Gospel of John, and that's uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And uh, speaking of the Gospel of John, our Gospel reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Just a couple of things to note. First, we only have readings from the New Testament tonight, uh, also known as the Christian Scripture. Now, the reason we do this is it's actually pretty logical. During the rest of the year, we're looking to the resurrection. Even during Advent, we're anticipating the coming of the Messiah, which then leads to the resurrection. However, during the Easter season, we're looking forward. We're looking from the event of the resurrection and how it continues even today. So tonight, we will see that... uh, Uh, It might be time to sell your house. It's critical to follow commands, and locked doors are no match for Jesus. Okay, let's start by going through the readings, and then we can talk about the messages we find. So our first reading is from Acts of the Apostles. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the feet at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Our second reading is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-6. through Beloved, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water alone, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And finally, our Gospel reading is from John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. All right, so let's take a first glance at these readings and ask ourselves, uh, what does it mean? What messages and meanings can we find if we dig around a little bit? So from our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Um, this is one of those readings I actually love because it throws the literalists for a loop. Um, you know, the people, the, the Christians who insist that science is wrong because the Bible said God created the world in six days and we didn't evolve. We were created, blah, blah, blah. If the Bible says it, then it's true and we have to do it. Oh, it. Well, except for that whole being of one in heart and mind and sharing all your possessions and all that stuff. It, you have to look at it in context. They thought Christ was coming back soon. The judgment day would be rolling around next Tuesday. So why would anyone worry about personal possessions? So they'll they'll read it literally when they want to. They'll read the Bible literally, but but then they'll consider the context and whatnot when when they don't like what the message seems to be. Now, I don't disagree with them in regards to considering what was going on at the time of this reading, because it's likely this community really did believe Jesus was going to be back any day now. Now, The Acts of the Apostles is, is basically part two of Luke's gospel. It was written by the same author and pretty much continues the story where the gospel left off. But... Is the moral of the story that we need to sell our position, possessions and and give the money to the church to distribute to those in need? Well, no, I don't think so. Not, not exactly. Um, now, I've actually heard people make this argument, that, that this reading shows that the government shouldn't be taking care of the needy. We shouldn't have social welfare programs, but we should rely on charity organizations like the church to take care of the needy. So, so the government shouldn't take my money and give it to someone else. I should be able to do that through my own donations. Okay. Um, no, that's not what the reading is telling us either. I do think there's there's a, at least a couple things going on here. First of all, this story shows the, the powerful effect that Jesus' resurrection had on the individuals within the community of believers. I mean, how strong was the faith of someone who would sell their house in order to help provide for others in the community? (laughs) Even 2,000 years ago, that's amazing. But that's the power of the resurrection when people truly let Jesus into their hearts. The story also shows what a community of believers can do when they come together in a common cause. Not only was the community of faith growing, but no one in the community was in need. During a time when there were absolutely no government, government-run government social safety net type of programs, the believers found a way to ensure everyone's needs were met. And as Catholic social teaching emphasizes, a big part of the message is that of equally sharing resources among everyone really is a critical part of the message that we should not overlook or gloss over, and we definitely shouldn't try to paint it as something else. This reading shows the strong Christian roots of both wealth redistribution and more equitable distribution in the first place. The reading says, quote, From time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That, friends, is redistribution to solve an immediate need. It doesn't say, everyone sold all their stuff. It implies that those who had a lot would share a portion of their wealth when it was needed. But earlier in the reading, it said, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That implies a more equitable distribution to begin with. Unlike our grab-and-go, first-come-stakes-the-claim culture, the early Christian community believed that everyone deserved a fair share and no one should be claiming more. So the main message I got from this reading from acts is that we are called to care for one another even through personal sacrifice too many people are afraid of change because they feel like they'll lose what little bit they've got but christians are called to get past that and take care of everyone there is enough to go around we have the resources to care for every human being on earth but it's going to take significant systemic changes to do so Christians have to step up to that challenge though because we are called to care for one another even through personal sacrifice. Now, our second reading was is from the first letter of St John and this is actually packed with meaning. This this reading is one I would call deeply theological. So it's not always easy to understand and a lot of the symbolism in this letter actually points to the Gospel of John. So we could spend a whole bunch of time pulling all of those theological threads but for tonight I'll just I'll just break out the four main parts of this reason and discuss each briefly yes I said four there there are four important things in these two paragraphs I told you this was a deeply theological text okay so so the first thing it tells us that our faith is connected to our begotten our our being begotten by God but it's not in the way that Jesus was begotten. Part of John's theology is that we receive new life through our baptism. And this new life comes from God and through God. And because of that, we share in the begotten nature of Christ. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Second, this little reading connects love of God to obedience to the commandments of God. So in other words, if you don't follow God's commands, then you don't really love God. That's a tough message, uh, especially for those self-proclaimed Christians who clearly, clearly do not love the rest of humanity. All you have to do is take one look at the vitriolic BS they post on Facebook. and You know that's a fact. Now, one thing I'll point out is that, like everything else in the Bible, we need to look at this reading in the larger context, both in regards to the text in the book where we found it, but also within the context of all the other related messages. This reading could be interpreted incorrectly to imply that we are to love only those children of God who accept Jesus as Lord. that's called proof texting, pulling a specific quote out of context to try to prove a different point. It would be taking these words as a standalone lesson and flat out ignoring what Jesus actually said. His followers, those who claim to love him, must love everyone else. Our neighbors aren't just fellow believers who live nearby. When we choose to follow Christ, we also accept Uh, a higher bar by which we're judged, by which we are judged. Now, accepting the call doesn't mean we get to judge everyone else by a high bar. That's where all the self-righteous, judgmental Christians get it completely wrong. The higher bar, that's for us. That's for us to judge ourselves. All right. The third thing this reading does is that it speaks to conquering the world by Christ through water and blood. Now, if you remember John's Gospel of the Passion, uh, which we heard on Good Friday, Jesus's side was pierced and from it flowed blood and water. That isn't just imagery for effect, it's theologically significant. So think about it. At our baptism, we are washed in the saving waters. And then week after week, outside of a global pandemic anyway, we receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist. So some of the foundations of our sacraments, baptism and Eucharist, are seen in this reading, blood and water. Finally, the reading actually calls people to baptism. Who will, quote, overcome the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, unquote. And we know this because it's the Spirit who tells us, who testifies to it. And the Spirit is truth. All right, so that's four, I guess, quick lessons from from this one little reading. We're begotten of God through our baptism. We show our love of God by following God's commands to love one another. Through water and blood, the sacraments of baptism in the Eucharist, Christ will conquer the world. And all people are called to baptism. So the main message I got from this reading is that all are called to conquer the world through baptism. But when we talk about Christ conquering the world, we're not talking about a a warrior's conquest. We're talking about a conquest that began by dying on the cross and rising into new life. The world is about inevitably moving toward death. It's the culmination of everything of the world, death. But Jesus has conquered death, has conquered the world, and all are called to conquer the world through baptism. And finally, our gospel reading was from John. Um, If you remember, it begins the evening of the day they found the empty tomb. Uh, The disciples were... Now, they're obviously freaked out and they're hiding together with the doors locked when Jesus suddenly appears among them. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, I kind of expect him to say, "Hey, gang, surprise, it's me, Jesus. You can stop freaking out now." But no, the first thing he says is, "Peace be with you." It's a greeting that all Catholics should be pretty familiar with. And after he shows them his hands and his side as proof that it's him, then they were overjoyed. But wait, let's, let's go over that again carefully. On that first night, when Thomas wasn't with him, Jesus shows up, says, peace be with you, and crickets. No reaction, not, whoa, it's true, Jesus is back from the grave. Nope, he shows up, greets them, shows them his hands and side, the wounds, and then it says, The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. We seem to forget that part when we get all judgy with Thomas later in this gospel. Now, all right, before I go on, I want to point out a couple of things, a couple of quick things. First, this reading is on the second Sunday of Easter, because although the first scene is on the evening of the resurrection, the final scene with Thomas happens a week later on the second Sunday of Easter second point is we hear this reading, actually we hear it every year on the second Sunday of Easter, in all three cycles, A, B, and C, mainly because that's the exact day it occurred. Though now it's also important because the second Sunday of Easter is Divine Mercy Sunday. So back in 2000, I think, um, St. Pope John Paul II canonized St. Faustina, and declared that the second Sunday of Easter would now be called Divine Mercy Sunday. I'm not going to dive into all of that tonight, but feel free to spend some time researching online if you'd like to to know more. Um, I'll just say that it makes sense, because our readings this week do reflect a path to God's mercy, especially through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Which brings us back to the first scene in this reading where Jesus tells the disciples that he is sending them forth to continue his work and he's giving them the power to forgive or not forgive a person's sins. It indicates the power of the sacrament of reconciliation, because when you look at this reading, you understand that the forgiveness is not symbolic. It's not something we've already received, and the priest is just giving us the outward sign of forgiveness. Jesus implies that the disciples have to discern whether or not a person's sins should be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, in the second scene, it's a week later, and Thomas is with them, but doesn't believe their wild story about Jesus coming back. Doubting Thomas, right? But don't forget that the rest of them believed after Jesus showed them his wounds. So when Jesus appears again, he fires off the same greeting, peace be with you, and then immediately calls Thomas and offers him proof. He doesn't chastise Thomas. He doesn't doesn't berate him for not believing what the others had told him. No, he simply calls him over and offers him proof so that he'll believe. After Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says the words that we've probably all heard plenty of times over the years. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, he says it to Thomas, but I think it was meant for all of the disciples. Remember, they were all in hiding on that first day of the resurrection they had been told they'd been told that jesus had risen from the dead an angel had told some of them that he had been had risen from the dead if if they had believed without seeing they would have been out celebrating in the streets or or they would have at least been out looking for jesus ah, he's running around out here somewhere but they didn't they all still had doubts it wasn't just thomas I think the message was for all of the disciples and all of their successors in ministry for the centuries to come. Don't be too hard on everyone else, especially those folks who manage to find the faith to believe even when they haven't seen the Lord. But after all of that, the main message I got from this gospel reading is that Jesus wants us to believe. From a religious perspective, having faith means believing something even though we can't prove it. Where there is absolute certainty, there's no need for faith. But we're only human. We, we will always have questions and even doubts. But that's not a bad thing. Doubt means you're still questioning. You're still seeking. Disbelief? Now, disbelief is certain. There's certainty there. You've made up your mind. But having doubts about God is fine, because just like he did with Thomas, Jesus wants us to believe. All right, let's sum up what we've talked about so far. In our first reading from Acts, the main message I came away with was, we are called to care for one another, even through personal sacrifice. In our second reading from the first letter of St. John, the main message I got was, All are called to conquer the world through baptism. And finally, the main message I got from our gospel reading was Jesus wants us to believe. The mission of the church is a continuation of the mission of Christ on earth. But we sometimes forget that we are the church, the body of Christ, and we're called to care for each other and conquer the things of this world. The resurrection has brought new life has conquered death and sharing in the resurrection is being offered to all of us because jesus wants us to believe so let's take a step back and uh, take a second glance at these readings overall and ask ourselves if our path has become clearer in order to do this i like to ask two questions so what and now what okay so what why should we care about any of this well, we should care about this because far too many people are suffering in this world, even in our own communities, because they don't have adequate shelter, food, clean water, and health care. Instead of clutching our rosaries and condemning them because they're not as holy as us, or just because they're different from us and that scares us, we need to find a way to reach out. We need to reach out with mercy and show people the path to forgiveness. But that starts, I think, with us offering forgiveness for whatever sins we may think they've committed and and not acting like we have the authority to condemn them. Our world is full of too many self-righteous Christians who are so certain in their beliefs that there is no longer any room for faith. They've stopped seeking because they know all they need. And the last question I try to answer is, now what? What are we supposed to do? Where where do we go from here? All right, well, don't be so damn certain. Seek, question, doubt. Doubt a little. It's okay to doubt, but don't disbelieve. So with that in mind, here's your real challenge for the week. Be honest with yourself about your doubts. There's no specific virtue in being absolutely certain when it comes to our belief in God, we cannot know the mind of God. We will never, never fully understand the Lord, but that doesn't mean we should stop trying. In fact, the opposite is true. The more questions we ask, the more answers we seek, the closer we'll actually become to Jesus. We'll get closer because we're asking questions, we're seeking. And remember, Jesus wants us to believe, and he wants us to keep looking for him. But part of doing that, a big part of doing that, is being honest with yourself about your doubts. Before I wrap things up, I'd like to leave you with one more quote from Scripture. Remember, remember Peter in the boat? Even Peter had doubts and Jesus had to reach out to, to help him. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's okay to have doubts, as long as you keep asking questions and keep reaching for Jesus. All right, we have come to the end of our time here together. Thanks again for joining me this evening. I will be back again next week, as always. But in the meantime, I encourage you to use this as a starting point. Spend some time with the Bible on your own. Look at the readings we discussed tonight or find something completely different. Read through it a couple of times. Think about it. Pray about it. Try to open up not only your mind, but your heart. Let's break open the Word and then listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. The Real Word Podcast is brought to you by the Real Values Project, Real Youth Ministry, and the Real Values Framework. Real stands for Respect, Engage, Accept, and Lead. For more information on the Real Values, please visit keepingitreal.club. And finally, the Bible readings used for this podcast are from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 1973, 1978, 1984, In 2011, by Biblica Inc. Used by permission, all rights reserved worldwide.